With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello. Can you hear me now? Now, if I could just play music and commercials.
Hello. Hello. Is this Lonnie? Yes, sir. Hey, it's William. How you doing, man? I'm well. How you doing, William? <laughs> Good. I'm sorry. I didn't unmute <laughs> you because I, I, this is like the first time I've had to run the show with the new software. It's actually yeah. recording now, but we're going to cut out this beginning part. And uh, have, have you heard the show at all? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to do a quick intro, and then we're going to jump right in and get started so the people can get to know you. How's that sound? That's wonderful. All right. Um, oh, oh, oh. And pronounce, uh, pronounce, uh, pronounce, you. Uh, what is it? Upiri? Upiri. Upiri. Okay. Thank you so much, because I don't like messing stuff like that <laughs> up and looking, you know, completely stupid. I don't mind looking partially stupid, because everybody's partially stupid. <laughs> I got you, William. I don't think we're partially. Sometimes I think we go all, we go overboard, but I, I'm with you. <laughs> well, you know, Friday nights, you haven't been out for like five years on a Friday night. You know, sometimes it wears on me. But, you know, the ankle bracelet does keep me, you know, around the house. <laughs> anyway, let let me go ahead and do the intro and then we'll get started and uh jump right in. How's that sound? That's wonderful. Okay. Um and welcome everybody to the Genesis Science Fiction Radio Show, a service of the Black Science Fiction Society dot com website. Tonight is the August seventeenth edition, two thousand eighteen. We're rapidly winding up summer. Chicago's been kind of hot, humid. I've been running the air conditioner. I'm probably going to have to get a co-signer in order to pay my next electric bill. But uh, on to the show. Tonight's special guest is Lonnie Jackson. He's an actor and producer. And, um, you know, the thing I'm looking at right here is is uh, his work with the Upiri Experience, which he'll explain about later. Actually, I want to find out as much about you as I possibly can. So welcome to the show, Lonnie. Man, thank you very much. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on, uh, William. I was on this early, I think last year actually, and it was a phenomenal yeah, time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Um, I, 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 I like the conversation. And, and let me tell you the best part. You know, I always say this. You know, I get to meet people that I would never have met otherwise. But I also enjoy talking to people who are actually active, doing things that are that that you know a lot of people wish they could do, but but doing them well, you know, I like the smart people that come on and, and everybody usually is because, you know, we're all doing something creative in uh, either science fiction, fantasy, horror, television, movies, writing, music, what have you. So um, I'm, I'm glad you're back. Welcome back. And, uh, you know, where, oh, where are you coming to us from right now? Atlanta, Georgia, live and direct from Atlanta, Georgia. Are you going to be there next week for, um, Dragon Con? Dragon Con? Oh, yes. Yes, I'm right there with uh, Jarvis. We'll be working with the diversity track. So, yes. So, we get yeah, to actually yeah. meet face-to-face? <laughs> yeah. I've seen you on the panel. <laughs> on one of the panels. So, yes, we shall. We will definitely meet face-to-face. And that's also the coolest part. You know, I just started participating in um, conventions not long ago, maybe three years ago, two years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know whenever I did. And I did it because of Jarvis's um, urging, you know, because to me, before I went, it, it seemed like for someone like me, you know, an author, excuse me, I would go there 
and mm-hmm. basically be sitting at a table trying to sell books. Okay. I didn't, <laughs> I, I, well, I didn't get it. You know, I didn't get it because I had never been. Um, mm-hmm. This was a new facet of my life. And uh, he connected me up with someone who got me to participate in Worldcon in uh, Kansas City, oh, wow. which was hot, yeah. hot as all hell. And I did a lot of the diversity. Uh, I did a few diversity panels at there, which which gave me great exposure. And also, I mean, I was impressed with the intelligence of the people who show up. And not that they're super smart or anything, but they're aware. You know, uh, if, if we're going to use some some kind of uh, common term, you know, these are woke people. These are people who are aware of of the genre. They're aware of the particulars. Um, one of I, I I mentioned this. I was uh, moderating the panel on Afrofuturism. There was an older white man there. Yeah. I think he was probably about seventy. And when we started the uh, the Q and A, he raised his hand and he said something that I almost gave a flip answer to because I well okay I do the radio show I, I'm fairly fast on my feet and I like to make things fun and or funny. But he asked you something that actually made me stop. He he raised his hand and he said, if, if you're white, do you have to know much about black culture to enjoy, you know, uh, stories of Afrofuturism, you know, black horror, black-themed science fiction, black-themed uh, fantasy? And and I, I had to stop. Wow. And, wow. and I quickly asked the question to everybody in the room. I said, Okay, how many people here have seen Avatar? And of course, just about every, I think almost everybody raised their hand. <laughs> Excuse me, allergies. And I said, okay, how many of you knew about blue ass giant people before you saw the movie? <laughs> and and everybody they said, wow, you know. And and I, my point was, if you if you execute your genre well, if you execute a television show, mm-hmm. a movie, a book, a story, if you execute it well, people will get into it because the story is drawing them in, not that they're looking for, you know, the blue man group in outer space, Correct. you know, not because, uh, you know, they're they're looking for, I don't know what other blue aliens there might have been, but so that was, it was very enlightening for me to go through the experience. Um, and, and for you, and, and pardon me for not remembering all the details of your life. I really apologize, but it's so hard, you know, meeting somebody no, new hard. every week. But, you know, cool. for you, you know, you, you know, I, I look at the website, I look at the stuff that you've been into, and, and I got to ask, you know, let people know who have never heard about you or or heard you know, you know, what was the, the beginning of your interest in kind of doing the things that you're doing? You know, for artists, a lot of them say it was the first time I picked up a crayon, you know, for doing a comic book or something like that. For writers, it was like, well, I've always been a storyteller. I used to write stories when I was younger. Um, mm-hmm. For TV people, they say, oh, you know, I like I like Star, uh, Star Trek and and Space 1990. <laughs> Excuse me, all those puppet ones like uh, Fireball XL5 and uh, Stingray and all of that. So for you, I mean, you know, you're not an old dude like me. You know, I'm old, I'm played out. But, no, but when I think way. about 
Well, you know, I try to hide it. You know, if it wasn't for Photoshop, I wouldn't show my face anywhere. But, <laughs> but I mean, for you, you know, when you're growing up, what is it that's like capturing your imagination that push, pushes you into this creative track? Well, one of the things I think that in terms of with from the perspective that you said in terms of what got me started is I really feel like in, when I was in the womb, you know, my mother, one of the things that she told me, she used to talk to me a lot and read to me. So when you're in the womb, you know, you don't see the world. Hear the right. voice kind of visualize from that perspective of what it is, even as as a, a young embryo. So it's like a sensation. It started, correct. So it started there from a point of visualization from that point. And then once I received my first book, my mother used to read to me when I was real young as well, too. And I love, once again, that consistency. But then when I received right. my first book, I then took that book and I began to dive into my own world. And I remember it was a book. There was an anthology book, an anthology book of the Bible, of all the stories for kids, you know, in the sure. Bible. And I used to take that book. And I used to read every story, like literally I would go, before I go to bed at nighttime, I would read the entire book. That was like my, my, like, you know, my, my thing before I went to sleep is I got to read all these stories and then start visualizing them differently, putting myself into the stories, looking at them differently. I know the author wrote them, but I was like, man, what if this happened? Or what if I can change this? And then I began to create this world. So when I was young, I would say anywhere from about six to seven that's when, in wow. terms of that inspiration of, okay, I want to create from from that platform, you know, as an as as an author, but also in terms uh -huh. of when it comes to acting, you know, I, I start visualizing even before I knew what acting was. I start visualizing myself in these stories. What would I do? How would I react to these things that these individuals are going to? And that's when I realized that these stories are a direct relation to us. So this is a connection to people. So from that point, you know, I, I just start writing my own. I just start letting my thoughts spill out, you know, from what I've read. So that's my starting point. Man, I mean, that's pretty early, you know. And, and but, but then, you know what, I think that if you're in the right stimulating environment and, and the right supportive environment, that mm -hmm. could be the point where you're the most creative. Because let's think about it. At six years old, what's really impossible at six years old except having that next cookie or, <laughs> or you know, having Frosted Flakes instead of uh, regular Corn Flakes? Or, you know what I'm, I'm saying? Your, your limits in, in the imagination are pretty much... They're boundless. It's open. Yeah, they really are. The they really are. That's the beauty. And, that's why I love children. And, and, and so kind of like... It's kind of funny that the the Bible, or at least stories about the Bible, you know, I never thought of it, but when you talk about pushing towards fantasy or fiction or science fiction, that's not a bad ground point to start from, you know? No. A lot of that and stuff, when you think about it, you know, I, I'll tell you the story that just cracks me up. It's a story about Lot and his wife. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. she she just had she just had to look back. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, if you just take it on its face, it's like, come on, 
don't look back. You know something bad's gonna happen. Uh, I don't know. I I kind of I got it. I got it. I just got it. You know. And so, but I, I see what you're saying about the creativity part. And the and were you you were reading the text, right? So you're reading the books, the book, and actually applying your own imagination or your own conditions or or plot points to the stories, right? Correct. That was the beauty right there. And I want to bring something back to what you were saying. Children's mind, uh, a child's mind is endless. A lot of times in terms of things that we truly want to be, it comes from when we're right. young. A lot of times it, it gets buried with other things in terms of that our environment brings to us. But in terms of when we're young, you notice children are you know, they're fearless and their minds are just, you know, like you said, it's just boundless at this point in time. So my my creativity was just at an all-time high, you know what I'm saying, at that point uh-huh. in time. And my imagination, when I start looking at these stories, you know, as a child, like, we look at that now, like, okay, an adult would think that way to say, okay, if I was Lot or if I was Lot's wife, what would I do? But I'm thinking of that at six years old. Like, what would I do? And, you know, it's like looking at right and wrong, you don't really – you don't really know the fullness of right and wrong, but you get an under you get an idea of it. Like, okay, this is what I would do because now my feelings they're not suppressed. I'm able to be fully free and open. The world closes us off, and our experiences that we go through tend to you know make us closed individuals based upon the I'm going to say the the negatives. I'm going to say that for lack of a better word, or the deltas that we're dealt that we're dealt with that closes us off. But if we're able to still think in that mind frame and take the deltas and, and make those deltas a positives, that's why I'm just on the pause, I love comedians from that point because they can take something that's very serious and make you laugh. They can connect with you and make you laugh about it from that point and still relate to you and make you look at it in a positive note to where you can overcome it and move forward. That's the big thing there is to be able to produce stories that we can relate to, not to bring back old feelings that are damaging, but that's why we look at the heroes so much because we love to see the lows, but then somebody rise up because it inspires us. And that's one of the things I love the second half is not just visualizing myself, but seeing people overcome and win that feeling of overcoming and beating the odds and winning and being able to share that with someone else as a child is, you know, that, that was phenomenal to me. You know, I, I really loved that. And I wanted to continuously express that. And I went through a lot of different things in my life, but I always wanted to express that through art because that's the first thing that gravitate, I gravitated to was number one, reading, visualization. And then from that point, writing, I read, a, I actually wrote a book, William, um, which is funny um, when I was 11 years old, I actually started writing my own book called The Art of Living. The Art of what? I didn't I know. The Art of Living. Oh, of living. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. All right. No, I didn't know in terms of like, I didn't, with this book, I didn't know where I was going. My whole point was that as people, and it kind of goes back to what you said earlier on, I was like, we're all similar. And I wanted to showcase like different cultures and show the similarities we have, not the differences. I said I need to travel around the world and I need to experience different cultures so that I can write from the perspective on how similar we are and look from their perspective so I can show the world how similar we are. I'm saying this at 11 years old, and I'm starting to write this book. <laughs> I never finished it. I, I went around the world and seen a lot of places, 
So I'm still from 11 all the way up to my time now. I'm still writing that, but I started that book with the concept and everything at 11. That's kind of cool because essentially, you know, it's it's if you just take it on its face to to start thinking about a travelogue at the age of 11, you know, a travelogue mm-hmm. of your life. That's that's pretty ambitious. And then to find at, at you know at currently that that has become you know, I don't want to say a century of progress, but more like the never-ending story. Because, of course, it's going to go on, you know, it's going to go on as long as you're alive, hopefully. You know, because you're you're going to constantly be adding experiences, observations. Um, you may even invite people in to, you know, to jot down their stuff. I mean, it's kind of a cool concept in terms of, you know, a long-term endeavor. Um, Correct. It, it, so, which begs the question, you know, so when do you know it's done? Well, it's never going to be done. When do you know it's time to cut it off and expose it to the world? Well, that's another story entirely. So that's kind of cool okay. that, that, that at, at that young age you were looking outward. And, and the other part that I really like is the part that you were looking at an inclusive surrounding, uh, you know, an, an inclusive artistic culture, an inclusive Correct. creative universe, instead of this BS that we're going through now where, where you know, tall people hate short people, dark people hate light yeah. people. You know, <laughs> over in Europe, you know, they, the Jews are being driven from England. You know, you've got, you've got all of this nonsense. And, and you know what? It's, it's at the behest of the people who want to run and control everything. And Correct. and what's so disappointing to me is how few people have caught on to that. And the way you catch on to that is by experiencing other things and realizing that that separating people is not the way to go. Um, if I could just interject for a second here. I just shot two pilots for a television interview show. Somebody wanted mm-hmm. me to be the, um, the, the moderator and, and the interviewer for this interview show, and I, I met somebody, and I can't think of his name right now because, you know, I've got your stuff in front of me, but he, uh, it'll come to me, he has a, a, a slogan, we all live here, okay, and I'm sure if people just run into uh, Google or someplace and do we all live here, look for the guy in Chicago, uh, oh, man, I can't remember the name, but, no, but he, he's, got, he's got that same that same philosophy of you because as you, because, you know, the fact of the matter is we do all live here. And if we don't get along, we're going to be pretty miserable for all of our lives. Because if you're standing in your yard constantly, you know, and I make the joke that I'm a rocking chair and a porch away from being that guy saying, get the hell off my lawn. But if we're standing in our lives constantly telling everybody to get the hell away from us, that's not a life at all. And and there's no, no future in that. Where's your where's your fulfillment? Where's your humanity? Where's your empathy? You know, those are the things right. that that right wing rich people want us to eliminate from our lives because if we're at war with each other, then they can steal the whole show. So okay, that's you know my what? that's my soapbox for the minute. Go ahead. But you you know what well, you know what you just gave a definition of? Mm-mm. You know what you just gave a definition of? A zombie. Yes, because you're, you're that you know you're right. You take away the soul, you take away the core, and from that point, a zombie. You know, yes, a, a zombie can be 
it's a, it's a virus that spreads in a zombie. And if that zombie bites you with a virus that spreads again, now your whole key is to stay away from getting bit, but we can control them because number one, they can't run fast. Number two, they don't think. So now we can just corral them and use them for our own reasons. That's why I love Walking Dead, because Walking Dead kind of showed you, got away from just the monster and the zombie, and it showed you the humanity and how we can be zombies. That's what I loved about that show from that point. And it showed how they used the actual zombies in terms of people, but also the zombies to control situations. That was phenomenal. And it, it really was just a outlook on society, just through the different viewpoints. That's something that I love as well, too, with being able to artistically you know, showcase society through a different lenses. Because a lot of times we have to be entertained to grasp something from that point. And that's what I love. Just what you said right there is you snatch away the, the love. You snatch away the, the sense of community, the sense of togetherness, the sense of, you know, being open and being able to connect with people. Because what has thrived throughout years, you know, from African history is the village mentality, the community how everyone raises, each one teach one from that point. That is important. And when we, when the way we operate, I think last time on the show, we talked about that, the whole collective structure, meaning that we're businesses that come together to help each other at the end of the day because we like to build bridges with each other. And when we build bridges with each other's companies, what does that do? A bridge allows people to walk back over, walk to and fro. So it brings, like in terms of the example you, you have a, a business. I have a business. We collaborate in a great partnership. We build a bridge. You bring your people that are unique that I cannot reach over to me, vice versa. From that point, we begin to now pour into each other. That's the whole point behind growing and being unified. And that's a movement. You know, and, and that that's kind of where I've shifted my, my creative focus. You know, I've written, uh, I don't know how many books now, seven, eight I don't know eight books, whatever, and and I'm 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 waiting to publish three. I'm 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 looking for an agent, you know. Now I don't, I have no shame in announcing that on the air, you know. Not that somebody's going to just all of a sudden, you know, email me and go, dude, I'll, I'll I'll represent you. But one of the things that I am doing, and I I'm I'm not only learning a lot, but it's it's right up your alley about what you were just saying, and I am getting ready to. Put the documentation together to mm-hmm. package my Dark Side Universe for a television series. Okay, Dynamic. now I don't I don't do TV yet. I don't know TV. I I, I know far less than you do, but you know I, I I'm interviewing you, and then there's you know I I interviewed a gentleman last time, and you know um you know uh, Jody Eric can't remember his last name. And so I'm meeting people who have experiences in this area who can at least educate me into, mm-hmm. okay, so what does Hollywood want? Well, Hollywood does not want a Japanese running the show. Okay, I know that. <laughs> but Hollywood does want the Japanese ideas in order to make some money off of him. Well, I get that too. So, you know, my job is basically in putting together my documentation is to do take away every reason for Hollywood to say no. And I think that, you know, I apply that to all businesses. I apply that to all mm-hmm. mergers, all ideas. If you take away every idea that someone is going to knee-jerk use to say no, then you come out ahead of the game, which means that I have to be smart. 
and I have to learn, and I have to, you know, I would far more listen to you about how to write a synopsis than I would going on, on, on Google and, and finding, oh, how do you do a synopsis? So, you know, mm-hmm. again, what you're talking about, about bringing people together is not only wise, but it's a necessity because nobody knows everything, you know? Correct. Nobody knows everything. Um, and and uh, that, this, is, this is kind of fascinating for me because, you know, Dragon Con, which is next uh, over the uh, Labor Day weekend, and I will be in Atlanta yep. Um, yep. for those who are going to be there, and I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of people I've only spoken to and have never met face-to-face. I've never met Jarvis face-to-face. And all of these years I've been doing this show, show, and and he 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 called me a while back, and he says, you know, do you want to be in the diversity track? And I said, well, what, you know, what can I do? He said, oh man, you know, the list is endless because, you know, I do the show, I have the experiences I have, you know, like I said, I'm I'm old, I've been around, I've been doing stuff. You know, I taught my first diversity class at the college level in 1976. Ooh, man, yeah, you showing a lot. Yeah, so anyway, but let's quit talking about me. Let's talk about you. Okay, so, so you, you know, you, you had the creative bent, you know, based upon a book you read, you know, started at, at, at the age of six. You, you, you created your own creative sphere at the age of 11, and then, you know, what – Talk a little bit about what you were like in school and what drove you creatively in school because sometimes school can be very advantageous and it can be, you know, it can it can kind of encourage you and sometimes, you know, the, the forces of school, you know, bad teacher, whatever, can shut you down. What was it like for you? Well, in terms of school was definitely different, you know, going up, growing up, you know, and coming from elementary, you know, I had that creative juice, that creative mind and was very open. Um, going into right. my elementary school year, you know, with a lot of, at this point in time, you know, they don't say it back then, but now it's called bullying. You know what I'm saying? I was, I was picked on, you know, a lot. So that kind of dimmed me from that perspective. And I, like I was saying, experiences in life, they kind of dim and take away. So from that point, you know, I was picked on a lot because I didn't have the best clothes. You know, at that point in time, you know, my family – we weren't poor, but at the same point in time, we didn't have a lot of money as well. So sure. I, I just, I, I had basic things. So I was talking about, I wasn't one of the, the end people. Um, I had strong features, big nose, big lips, those things. Um, I was always the bigger, you know, guy. So I think that, you know, other individuals kind of feared that to, to, to kind of keep me nullified. They would gang up on me. So elementary, I kind of went through that. And then going through middle school, you know, it got worse from that perspective. Going through high school, my, I would say my freshman year, it got really bad at one of the schools I was in. And one of the things with me, William, I'm not ashamed to say, is that I used to fight a lot from that point because mm-hmm. it made me to a point to where I was angry. It was other things that was happening at home from that point to where I had to find a way to contain that anger. And a lot of times with us as men, we have anger, we do crazy stuff to where we end up not being here or being locked up. So, you know, I was similar to a point where I had that anger. And I was able to, you know, God really blessed me to put people around me where I was able to use, going back from a child, I was able to use that creative mind. I used to write a lot. I used to write my thoughts down in my notebook from that point to where it became spoken word, to where it became like an MC because I'm I'm I was in the music field. I love music. 
So listening to, you know, like hip hop music when I first heard it from, you know, um, MC Shan, KRS One, Rakim, like first listening, I mean, I, that that really gave me life from that point. And that was like my connection, my release is to be able to listen to them and then try to drop my own ideas down. That's how I dealt with the things at school, you know, because I was more so isolated. So, and I played sports. That was the other thing. I love sports, football and basketball, play sports. I love the aspect of being in a team because once again, when you're, you're, you're ostracized or you're talked about, you want to find that connection. So when you play sports, of course, basketball, you got your team members and you want to be with a team of individuals to where you can share. There's like a family unit. You're able to, 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 to work together to reach a common goal. So I love sports. I love music because that was my personal isolation from that point to be able to release. And I loved also in terms of expressing myself. I used to talk a lot, you know, to myself. So that's where I got into a point of doing my own spoken word. So I kind of, you know, became a, a poet to myself. I used to look in the mirror and be in my room just speaking my pieces out loud. And that's how my poetry and my lyricism started to come to life from that point. And that was all coming from school, just kind of being ostracized. But there was a change. Um, in my ninth grade year, you know, I was, I got into a real bad fight and they kicked me out of the school district. <laughs> you can't come back. You know what I'm saying? You can't come back. You're done. So I'm like, okay. You know, at that point I had a choice. Either, you know, I can disobey my parents and everything and just, you know, go out and go to another route or, you know, I can make a change. And my mother actually put me in the school to where she taught at. Now think about that. She put me in the school where she taught at. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> so when I got into that school, I ended up meeting um, some of my good brothers. I call them brothers. We're not real brothers, but we have that relationship. And right, that school environment changed me because it went from a point now being bullied to a point to where, oh, you're Miss Jackson's son, from that point to where people really loved my mother, respected my mother, and they loved, you know what I'm saying, they, that opened them up to me. It was a whole different environment from that perspective. And it just was more of a unified uh, family feel being in that environment. And that's when I began to blossom. I began to now bring all of my talents to fruition at that period of time in terms of spoken word, um, writing down poetry, even acting from that perspective. And I started going into plays and so forth, doing plays in school because I had a gift for it, you know, just in my mannerisms. And you'll see when we get to Dragon Con, you'll be like, man, you're animated. You know what I'm saying? Just the way I talk and things <laughs> at that point. But I had that, that, that gift from that perspective, just with going back from the beginning when I was creating those stories in my mind, reading those stories, those Bible stories, I've always had that to where I would craft out my own scenes. And then I would act them out, and I just became animated from that point. I had a lot. I have a lot of energy. So that environment helped to change me. And having my mother there, and then having a coach that really was like another father figure to help me through my tribulations, and then having real friends that didn't pick up pick on me, but actually looked at me and accepted me for who I was. Man, that was dynamic. So from my sophomore year all the way on up, that was some great times. And I ended up opening up a lot more. And I ended up, you, you, you may not believe me, but I ended up becoming class clown because I was voted class clown because I used to joke a lot. And when I was early on in my, in, my, in my school years, that was a way of me, you know, keeping people away from me. You know, when people used to pick on me, I used to then turn the energy back by what we would call, you may call down in Georgia, Joni. I don't know if you know about Joni or staying or talking about people. Um, I'm sure my age too, but <laughs> we used to. Well, we called it. We I called to, it playing the dozens up here. 
<laughs> well, I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna use that. I used to play the dozens, you know what I'm saying, against okay. other people. But I I did it in a way, you know, when and once again this is this this is the creative energy, the creative force that we all have that we tend to use in bad ways. I would, words are extremely powerful. So, you know, I'm 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 visualizing, um I'm, I'm you know, taking my own scene, speaking them out, you know, I'm crafting myself. So now when people are talking to me, now I'm playing the dozens against them and I'm turning everybody in on them by using my words. So what is, what does that sound like? An MC, a master of ceremonies, meaning that I take mm-hmm. the energy that everybody is giving and I'm turning it back to you. I know how to do that. That's where that was crafted and it was crafted in a negative way because that was my way of getting you off of me and turning the tables on you at this point. And it used to get people, I used to talk about people so bad that they would want to fight me. My other way was, okay, now let's fight. So now I can beat you up. And a lot of times it would be the bullies. I didn't like bullies. I never, never was bullied anyone, but I didn't like bullies. And I would turn the energy back on them. And then we would fight. <laughs> and then I would let people know in terms of this is who you really are from that point. Just to humble you. So I used that for all the way from my elementary school years to my middle school years. So that became, a, uh, it was a gift, but I used it in the wrong way. But in my high school years, from my sophomore year all the way up, I was able to change that over and use that more for positive. So to answer your question, that's how I honed all of my skills. It wasn't always in a positive way because my environment wasn't always positive from that point. And there was a a lot of other things, but... Here's what happened. That was okay, and and you know this is this is a psychologist in me talking, but but here's what happened. You know you had a, a pretty crappy experience. You went someplace mm-hmm. where you could not act that way because I don't think your mother would have put up with that nonsense for for more than a hot. <laughs> no, you're right. Her reputation and, was and at And then already. what you what you did was you know you took you took what used to be I will kick your ass and turned it into nonviolent, non, you know, conflict revolu- uh, resolution. Correct. You know, Correct. when you can Correct. get people to laugh even at you or with you, <clears throat> nobody wants to fight anymore. And, Correct. And that also, that's also another way of building bridges to other people, okay, because we, we all have a shared space in life that is similar to other people. Okay, you look mm-hmm. at look at our greatest storytellers in in our culture in recent history. Um, mm-hmm. We've got we got you know King King of the Road is Richard Pryor. Nobody oh, yeah. told a story oh, better man. than he did. Okay, oh, all right, oh, wow. it, and 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 George Carlin, George oh, wow. Carlin could tell a story, and and you know who could do it without swearing, and a lot of people underrate him. But even Sinbad, you know, look at no, our Sinbad. story. Oh, man. Oh, man. So, oh, man. And, and what do they do? Our, our storytellers are, 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 are legion in terms of bringing people together. You, it, Correct. It, during, during the late 70s, you could be white, black, Asian, whatever, and if you were in high school and you started doing – uh, a Richard Pryor bit. Everybody knew the bit, and the ones who didn't, they would still get it. Or you could do a mm-hmm. Cheech and Chong bit, 
and everybody would get it because they all knew it, and it was it was a way of bringing people together. I mean, I think humor has brought people together more constructively than probably any other um, any other aspect of life. You know, people talk about oh, religion okay. brings people together, but you know what? No, religion no. is still it still separates you because, first of all, you've got somebody up there telling you you're not good enough and you have to keep trying to get better. But that's not the Correct. point of it. You know, I, I'm an ordained ecumenical uh, pastor, okay? I'm mm-hmm. ecumenical because I, I don't claim any any particular um, I understand. Denomination. denominations. And, mm-hmm. and, and the other thing I am is I'm an empiricist. So I actually have questions about the existence of God because I have to see it be able to manipulate it and understand it before I will accept it as true and right for me. So so I have determined that for me, religion is a matter of community. That's what it should be. Religion should be a matter of community, how to bring people together. Well, we've got, what, 5,000 years, you know, 10,000 years of people – you know, I think more people have died in the name of religion than any other motivation that we have. Yes. Not for land, not for not for sheep, not for, you know, you know, the Vikings going and raping and pillaging or, you know, whatever, whatever. And so, you know, I I have given up on the notion of religion bringing us together because the majority of people out there use it to to tear us apart. But you can't say that about humor. You know, no. people are not no. using humor to tear us apart. And even, you know, you, you got assholes like Dennis Miller, you know, who tries to do this right wing nonsense, you know, trying to, you know, prove that he's smarter than anybody else. And that that uh, separating people through humor is is going to work. And, and nobody pays him any attention. Who, who gets paid attention? No. You know, who is more self-deprecating than Kevin Hart? This dude yeah. is a midget. <laughs> he is practically yeah. a midget, and yet he can have uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, a guy who is like three of him, you know, mm-hmm. rolling helplessly in laughter because he can bring the humor. So that I, d- dude, I admire you for having gotten there. I was I was kind of a class clown. I wasn't like you so much, but I, you know, I I understood. The you know humor got me out of a lot of fights. Um, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Humor, but, humor even got me a touchdown one time. <laughs> with, I, okay, I'll, 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 yeah, let me one. tell you about this. Okay, so I, I I'm I'm the quarterback, and the only reason why I'm quarterback is I, I was like 130 pounds soaking wet, and like I get my oh, wow. butt just nailed. I didn't play that long because I, yeah. I, they busted the, they shattered the ball in my shoulder socket and said, oh, you'll never, you'll never throw or play tennis or do anything again. Of course, you, you have to prove the doctor's wrong. But here's what we did. We had a play that I called the wait a minute play. And so we would come up to the line, we would get set, and then I'd go, hey, wait a minute. And then when I said that, the center would hike me the ball and everybody would just stand up like, oh, we're, we're waiting a minute. You know, well, what's the deal? What's the problem? <laughs> Meanwhile, one of my ends is flying down toward the, the end zone. So I threw him the ball and got a touchdown. Okay. Oh, so wow. I, I was so cocky, so cocky. I think it was <laughs> South Shore High School we played the next weekend. And I, you know, these guys are bigger than us and everything. I thought, well, okay, let's try the wait a minute play. 
And so, <laughs> so I got I got the touchdown the week before. So as soon as I say, wait a minute, one of their guys busts through the line, knocks me on my ass, and he's laughing. And he 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 actually helped pick me up. He says, you probably didn't think we read the newspaper last week, you know. So how <laughs> how much funnier could that be to get knocked on your ass? So I mean, humor, and and you know, all everybody's you know. He and one of my guys, they're picking me up, you know, shaking me out like a like a, a cloth. You okay? <laughs> you know, you're gonna be able to make it. <laughs> you got and, your and, But again, but again, two teams were rivals, been rivals forever, and we're out there laughing with each other. And the coaches don't know what's going on. I mean, they saw the play, but they don't know that it brought us all together, you know, in a common, you know, in a commonality that we as the players all knew. So you did nonviolent conflict resolution, not knowing, you know, that that here in the year 2000, that's going to be such a big damn deal. And then you also started turning it outward so that you could use it creatively, if I'm not mistaken, correct? correct? Yep. And so, you know, so, so many people have, have developed creatively, and like I said, humor is one thing that does bring us together, and for you, you discovered that early, and you used it, and I bet you your mom was pretty proud of you, because, you know, she she's right there. It's not like she can ignore what you're doing in school, and all of a sudden, you go from being kicked out of, you know, <laughs> what was it, the whole district? You're kicked out of the, yeah, the, whole, the whole school district. The whole school, school district. district. So, you know, I, I remember the first time I got suspended, my mom beat the, beat the snot out of me. And then she was really apologetic because when she saw how badly she done me. But still, <laughs> you know, had I been smarter, I, that never would have happened. So anyway, tell me now because, you know, we're, 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 we're kind of – we're not deep into it. I mean, we don't, we're not running out of time. But the thing that I'm I'm a little curious about is, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, being a producer and an actor and and putting together the experience? You know, what what is your canvas? Is this like, you know, and, and I'm doing this deliberately so that you could tell the story. Is this mm-hmm. television? Is this movies? Is this writing? You know. When you talk about being a producer, people automatically think, okay, TV or movies. In your case, what you know, what role do you play as a producer? Um, actually, all um, there's a, ter- a title that's called transmedia producer. Absolutely, yeah. Transmedia is really hot, and a lot of people don't know what it is. But um, uh, let me just explain to people real quick, and then I'll let you go. Uh, transmedia is mm-hmm. taking your creativity and being able to put it out there in different types of, of, of media. Okay, so you have Correct. one creative universe. It's like Marvel. Marvel now has comic books, Correct. it has TV shows, and it has movies. Correct. That Marvel is a transmedia company. Okay, so, okay, so having said that, um, what start at the beginning of before you got to the transmedia part. Where, where were you at first? Was it the, the writing part that you talked about? Or, or the acting part? Because, you know, both of those seem to have played a pretty big role as you were getting older. Yeah, both. There was actually writing because I started off in the music arena and spoken words. So it was writing first, and then it moved into okay. acting. Um, I was more in front of the camera from that perspective because, like I said, I just had this energy um, at this point. But what I realized 
when I was when I started acting, I was like, wait a minute, you know, this acting is great being in front of the camera, it's cool and all, but in terms of, I don't want to be a starving artist because, <laughs> you know, I needed money as well, too. So I'm like, wait a minute, the best thing to do is to not just be in front of the camera, but to be able to, number one, from a business perspective, own what you create. That's important. So that's where I stepped behind the scenes because I was in the music arena for about seven, no, about nine years. You know, and from that point, I was a, you know, starving artist, for lack of a better word, and I didn't want to be that. So it started with the writing first, the storytelling. Okay. Because even as an artist, sure. a musical artist, it, you know, musical artists, musical artists tell stories. You know, they, they write as a similar platform. So I started that, started from there, and then moved forward into the actual acting realm to where I acted it out. And it felt good to connect with people, allowing my energy to go out and connect with people. But then I realized, like I said beforehand, was like, wait a minute, you know, in terms of, you don't want to be a starving artist and just go to and fro. If you look at a lot of famous people, they have both. When it comes to film or television, they actually transcend the realms of film and television in front of the camera, but then they go behind the scenes. And they also have credits as, you know, directors, producers, etc., because they do understand that it's a balance to be able to stay in this industry, you know, for so long and to be relevant. So that's one of the things that I picked up on, and I stepped behind the scenes. So from the acting, that was a long time ago. I went to the, the college and um, I minored in theater as well too. So I'm a, I'm a trained thespian. So I love the aspect of live theater one. Then I got into film when I came into Atlanta and just kind of expanded. And a lot of actual actors start off in theater and they end, end up morphing on down. Some of the greats, such as Denzel, started off in theater. If you look at their history, Forrest Whitaker, you know, start off in theater. I can go on, but these these. It, it gives you the, the uh, foundation. It gives you the building block to be able to connect live. There's nothing like a live experience when you connect with an audience. So to kind of go back, William, is that that's where it started from is with the music, you know what I'm saying, connecting with people and music is being able to write first and then tell the story. So from that point, I was like, wait a minute, I want to be an owner. So I stepped from behind the scenes and started learning that from a producer's aspect, meaning first and foremost, I jumped into a web series. That was the first, well, my first thing I ever, ever did was a short film um, called The Perfect Man. And when I tell you that was an experience, when I jumped into it, because I had no idea of the terminology, I had no idea in terms of the crew, in terms of how to connect them. I just said, hey, you know, I talked with a friend, we sat down, and she was like, hey, I want you to direct it. I said, okay, I was a fearless guy, let's go ahead and do it. I'll direct it. And I jumped into a hole. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I said I jumped into a hole, I jumped into a hole because we're coming up to the set and they're telling me, you know, I didn't know anything about pre-production, production. I'm just like, okay, give me the actors. Let me talk to them. <laughs> let me talk to them. You know, I got the script. Let me talk to them and then we can go ahead and start shooting. <laughs> and the crew was like, the DP was like, huh? I said, yeah, just bring the actors up. And then, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll talk with them from that perspective and then you just start shooting. <laughs> he was like, wait, wait, where's well, where's your script? Where's your storyboards? Where's your how are yes. we gonna block the shot? How are we? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, it, it, and and a lot of people, it. I mean, okay, let me ask you this: because from that day forward, how long did it take you to understand the gestalt of what you were trying to do and that there was already an established way of doing it well. How long was it before you understood your your lack of your lack of knowledge? That was a good question. I I 
learned it in about a year. I understood it in about two. Okay. So that's the difference. That's I learned it. Like, okay, cool. But that's still pretty short. Like, okay. But it's still it's still good that you you had that experience and that you weren't like one of these. Oh man, I don't have to do it the way everybody else does it. I, I does it. I, I'm gonna keep it real and 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 blah 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 no. blah. And meanwhile, you've got 30 people standing around who have well-defined roles who are ready to do their work, and you you're ignoring the fact that. Well, you just you're just ignorant of the fact of what it is that they have to do to make the magic. And that one of the things you said there, even with where we're at now, that's key. That goes back to working with people, and that goes back to being not being selfish. Like at the end of the day, I have a responsibility, and that's one of the biggest things I learned as an owner. You know, I'm responsible for making things move, and I don't have to be the smartest person. I don't have to be the person that knows everything. I just have to be a person that's able to understand and connect. That's the biggest thing I learned. Understand mm-hmm. and connect. Be able to communicate. That's the other thing. Be able to communicate so that we can get things done as a team, as a group. So that's why I said it took me two years to understand that. It's like, okay, I see. Because now if you're coming in and you, you have more experience as a DP than I do, and I'm trying to tell you what to do from that point because I'm over this, then we're already off on the wrong foot. It's a respect given in terms of, okay, you're the director, so I know the relationship. But in terms of in this field, when it comes to getting the right shot, I need to listen to my VP. So talk to me. I'll explain to you what I would like. Now you talk to me from this perspective back so that I have an idea of what you see as well. And being able to communicate and understand and relate allows for a dynamic project or a dynamic product. That's what I learned after the two years. And that even brings us into now, you know, in terms of when – we started Upari. You know, Upari started off, of course, in the music realm where I came from. Um, and mm-hmm. it started with the concept. It started with the writing, the concept that I had, the visualization. Which, it's funny, William, as a child, how things, the way we think and, and certain things we do still, as we get older, no matter how old we are, still, it still is there. And that's one of the things that I did from the concept, the visualization, same thing. You know, I was watching True Blood, and God hit me with, you know, um, what if a vampire drunk the blood of Jesus? What would you do? I was like, Oh my goodness, man, blasphemous! This, uh, you can't tell me this is crazy. This is evil. You know what in the world? You know, and I'm, I'm talking to God from that point because at that point in time, you hit the nail on the head with religion. I'm a religious guy, meaning in terms of I've been in different churches. I've studied many religions, you know and I'm saying as well. Mm-hmm. And from that perspective, you know, I was like, Oh my goodness, this is blasphemous, man! I, and I'm talking to myself and God, and you know, at this point in time, and then after I calmed down, that's when God hit me with the the, the whole connection, and this is what Yupari is based on, is in terms of vampires and humans, the comparison. So God hit me with this and said, all right, since you want to go ahead and, and scream on blasphemous and being evil from that point, let's go through an analogy. So vampires are considered considered evil, cursed, unredeemable murderers because they drink blood, right? That's what, the, that's what the stereotype is, right? Correct. So, okay. In terms of we're humans, let's, let's take a look at us. We're born into a world that's full of evil and we're successful to evil depending upon our environment. Do you agree with that? I do. And let me, let me just interject that, that one of the things that we're constantly taught, not necessarily, we're not taught in, in, in school or in church or anything, but we're taught by example that in order to be successful, you have to be almost criminal. You know, that, that there's that, that mm-hmm. what makes you successful 
is doing wrong, you know? Correct. And, and so, yeah, so, so the examples that we're given as we're growing up um, uh, have a lot to do with, with how we behave along the way and the kinds of ways we behave in order to, to try to, you know, gain our own motivations the way we want them to be. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, and that's one of the things you hit the next the next point is is that we're successful to evil, but also depending upon our environments, how we were raised, we we lack hope. So from that point, we don't feel like we're redeemable. Like if we mess up, that we can overcome. It's like, oh well, we already been dealt an X, so let me go ahead and you know and do this. That's negative. Let me do this because I'm already in this position. So this is the best of what I see. So we lack hope. We're not. We feel like we're not redeemable. We're born into generational curses based upon the history of our forefathers and what they have done and what they have taught us through our bloodline. And then when we say Hang murder... Oh, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. When we say, when we talk about murder and killing, when you turn on the radio, when you watch the news, who do you see doing this? Is it a vampire? Who do you see murdering and killing? Or, yeah, take it, or taking, advantage, taking advantage of the weak. It's us. It's us. So, it's the evil in us. Oh, hold on. Let me break break real quick. For those who want to take a look as as we're talking about um, uh, the, the online look, go to www.upyri.tv, Upyri TV, and and take a look while while uh, um, uh, while we're chatting, and uh, you know then that way you can kind of see where Lonnie's coming from. Go ahead now. Yeah, and that from that perspective, like. If you look at it, what is the the difference between a human and vampire after you do that analogy? Well, there there is none except uh, diet. <laughs> <laughs> but you, it was funny in terms of when you start looking at an analogy as well, too, William. A lot of us thirst for blood too, outside of being vampires. Whole different perspective. But um, that's true. I'm, that's true. And what I'm saying is, in terms of we're using vampires symbolically as another culture to showcase the racist and the stereotypes that we portray against another because people automatically look at vampires as these things, they stereotype, but that's the same lens that when it comes to different cultures, we look at, we look at in terms of African-Americans in this way. We look at as Asians as this way. We have a stereotype amongst every culture from that point. So what we said is we're going to actually take something that's supernatural that people connect well with and we'll use them in this realm. That's the core behind you, Pyre is the comparison of human and vampires, but showing the similarities. This goes back to where, when I was a child, when I said I wanted to travel the world and show the similarities of how we all are from that point. Mm -hmm. So now it's just in a different artistic form in terms of let me show you the similarities now at this point because vampire is an extreme thing. And eupyre is a Slavic word that means monster slash vampire. So we wanted to take something that represents monstrous behavior so that people can say, oh, that's ugly or monstrous. A lot of times we, we judge, but then when we start diving into the characters and our stories that are vampires and those that are humans, you start seeing the similarities. This is the point that we try to bring out in the world is we all should work together. Don't judge book by books by their covers. Give people a chance. The seven lessons that we incorporate or the characteristics that we put out there, such as love, understanding, diligence, and discipline, these are things that can help us to connect with our culture, with other people. It can help us to be redeemed. And that's the whole point behind Upyre is the comparison. 
but also the redemption, because redemption is basically whatever you want to call it. You know, we don't define and we're not going back from a religious aspect saying this is what you need to believe and tell you because the mind needs to be free. It just needs to be fed and needs to be shown, but the mind should be free. So from that perspective, we're going to present these characters and these stories and these situations, going back to like a child, we'll present these to you. Now you use your intellect because now it's coming without um, oppression, meaning that I'm forcing you to do something you don't feel. You see where I'm going, William? Absolutely. And and the the next question that I have is, you know, since you've been at this long enough now to, you know, that, that you've got a certain amount of exposure, what kind of feedback are you getting about the, you know, the, the creative universe that you've put together and that you are selling? And I don't mean selling like, you know, talking, but, but selling the public on, yeah, selling the public on the idea that you're trying to, that you're trying to 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 bring forth. Well, it's been it's been some dynamic feedback, you know, and I'm speaking on positive as well as deltas. Um, the positive is just that in terms of just to step into this realm, like like you said early on with the Marvel, and just to be simple, uh-huh. just to simplify to everybody, just to be clear, you know, what Upyri is, it's a anthology series. It's a comic book anthology series. It will have three volumes and seven total books. Um, we have over 20 characters that will be introduced from these. Actually, I'm sorry. We have all, over 11 characters that will be introduced over this anthology series, and we have several different organizations as well. I want to be clear so everybody knows in terms of what Upari is. It's a comic book anthology series that we do have. We have our first volume out, which is three books, and we're working on the origin as well, too, which will be coming out soon as well, too. So to kind of move forward from from that perspective, the thing that we, the feedback that I've been getting is to take on this endeavor like a Marvel Comics, you know, it's like that's phenomenal. And to really be able to showcase it because we have digital content, you know, as well as literary content that you can see. We have the first volumes out and then we have, we started off with the web series, so we have the digital content. And we also have vignettes of our actual characters in our book that we've shot that we'll be previewing coming October towards the experience. So we have both realms at this point in time when you start looking at the transmedia component. So a lot of people from a positive aspect will just like that dynamic, the concept, what they see us doing, um, and actually having the product and the way it's going forward has been very positive. The deltas has been more so to a point to where it clashes from a religious aspect to how can you use vampires? They're, they're you know still the stereotypes that come into play. I still get that in certain aspects as well, but not as much when we explain it. You know, it's to a point where people understand it. It's just a point where they don't feel it or like it. So that's the feedback I've been getting for the most part is an acceptance, one. Two, it's been a point to where, you know, people are just inspired that we're taking on this journey of creating a universe because we've created our own document called the Omnibus, which is a narrative document that starts from the beginning of time all the way up to about 2050. We can continue to create characters like an assembly line, Throughout our years, like Marvel has done, they have over 12,000 characters. We can have the ability now with that document to, to create double to triple times that in a lesser amount of time. Well, that and that's the other thing that I want to remind creators. Um, <clears throat> something that I, I realized with with my work, and and then it, it made more sense to me when when I'm writing, you know, I'm writing this Dark Side Universe um, series. It's going to be like seven books that 
even when I write that seventh book and conclude that, conclude that seventh book, if we're going to talk reality, those lives are still going on, you know? Correct. So, so even if you, if you switch away, if you, if, even if you come to a, a, a point where you conclude your series, life does go on, you know? And, and so, you you can either choose to go back to that track, you can do a new track, things like that, because um, it, it's it's kind of like you you talked about your eleven year old beginning um, writings, you know your century of progress, your your never ending story. Um, that's that's just as valid for you know creative works, creative universes, as it is for anything else. Um, I hope you don't write yourself into a really 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 stupid corner. And have Thanos snap his finger and kill off your heroes, <laughs> and and it's going to take Ant Man going to the multiverse to bring them back. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I give a spoiler away? I apologize. Yeah, yeah, you did. But, you, you did on that one. <laughs> but but see, here's the thing. Um, superhero movies are are what they are, and they're very popular because right. um, a, a lot of well, the characters usually people are exposed to them when they're younger, and as you grow up with them, they become they become familiar. They become almost like friends. You know, there's a there's an Correct. expectation that oh, I know what this 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 character is like. If I ran into Superman, he'd know me, and I'd know him because I've been reading him for all my life, or I've been reading about Thor. You know, all of these things. And so, you know, then when you yank the rug out from under people merely as a marketing ploy. It doesn't feel good. It feels like you've been abused. You know, it feels like you your your friend has decided. <laughs> let me try this yeah. just to mess them up. And and that there's a danger in that too. And I hope you don't follow into that. Not that I, I'm I'm assuming that you ever would, but but you know, mm-hmm. like my characters. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I had no idea that when I killed off one of my main characters, that people would be so upset. You know, so so, yeah, and and that you know, and and that's exactly what I was about to get to. When you create uh, characters that people connect with, not only have you accomplished something, which obviously is what you want to do when you're you know trying to put together a creative universe and a story arc, but I don't want to say necessarily that it's just a Somebody put there, yeah, they hate that, but I kill people. He put kill people in every book. That's in the chat room. But <laughs> but what happens is people people have a, a certain amount of entitlement about are they going to see the familiar? Are their friends going to come around the second time? You know, and and so um, there, you know, that's that's kind of a thin edge to walk. You got to be careful about it. But if you tell a compelling story, people are going to come back no matter you know, whether the same characters show up or not. And that, I believe, is the essence of storytelling, being able to craft something that's going to keep people interested. In in terms of your popularity, are you seeing the, the curve going up? More and more people are getting into Upyre, and then and they're sticking with it and maybe even, you know, giving you some feedback about, you know, about your creation. Yeah, we got a lot of feedback, and that's one of the. I, I think that's one of the blessed things that we have 
is that when you have a concept in, in a company and you're trying to be creative and tell a story and relate, um, sometimes it takes some time to connect and put all that together to where it's clear because the story when you're crafting as an author, like you said, and having a book, that's one aspect. But then you have the story of marketing, branding. That's a narrative story you're telling when you're connecting with people because they have to take that and then connect it to people from that point. It can get confusing if that's not clear. So combining those two elements, that was something that we got a lot of feedback from because in the beginning, you know, it was like the concept is great in your idea, but the story wasn't fully clear. So that's why we went back and we created, you know, the actual the, the narrative document called the omnibus. And that was created to a point to keep us in a way to where we didn't have to do what Marvel did with Thanos because, you know, Marvel did almost 70 years of material. They couldn't go back and create a narrative universe with their literary works because you got different variations of characters that will confuse the heck out of people. So that's why they went right. to the movies and was like, okay, you know what, we'll start fresh from there from that point. And you have a split audience within that. But now they had to go ahead because they hit that corner and because they already have a history, that's where, you know, the snap comes in to, to, to recharge things. And we learn from that lesson to say, okay, well, as we start, we have the ability now to keep a narrative universe from a literary realm all the way through all other depart all other other platforms. So we don't run into that problem like you were saying, William. We're able to now uh -huh. keep the narrative open and clear. And if you want to close it, close it. It can be closed in a way that's real life. Because we're not just creating superhero characters, we're creating real people because that's what people relate to. And that's one of the things that even from the beginning, like with our universe, our universe starts with familiar familiar characters. So it starts with the triunity or the triune, the supreme beings creating the earth. So you know that whole origin story, how they created earth and the five species of mankind. And from that point, mankind end up disappointing the, the unity. The triune godhead, they end up disappointing them. So from that point, they decided to now create another version, which was Adam and Eve, as well as Lucifer. And in our book, mm -hmm. our Adam and Eve looked totally different. And, and Adam and Eve were born in the Garden of Eden. You know, they were created in the womb of the triune godhead. And the godhead that we have here, they each decide to come together and put their powers together to create alternative universes they take their time each one has the time to where they will rule or they will create the universe and if it fails and it just goes to the next one on down the line so long story short they create the five mankinds of species or the five uh, species of mankind that's not right so that goes to the next and then they create adam and eve and that from that point goes according to plan until they create lucifer when they create Lucifer, that goes awry because with Adam and Eve, they begin to learn. They're born in the same image of the triune Godhead. So they begin to learn, like, okay, there's other mankind out here. They're not on earth with those mankind. They're in the, in the Garden of Eden, which is in a whole other destination. So as they begin to learn, they realized what the vision of the triune Godhead was for mankind, was for servitude. And they felt like, no, that's not right. They're not, they're similar to us. That is, this, these are our brothers. So there was a disagreement between Adam and Eve and the triune Godhead. And instead of being kicked out of Eden in the old story, they leave. Okay. They leave at that point in time and say, well, we're going, we're leaving. And they're going to take something called the Philosopher's Stone. The triune Godhead made the Philosopher's Stone, which was 
a fourth of their power all combined. Lucifer steals this because Lucifer became not just jealous. Lucifer was hurt as well, too, because he felt like the Godhead misused him, you know what I'm saying, and weren't fully honest with him. So from that point, he steals the Philosopher's Stone, and Adam and Eve leave from that point without the Philosopher's Stone. So they go to Earth, They and Adam ends up going across this, he has this conquest where he's traveling across the Earth, and he's fighting the different five species of mankind, not to kill them, but to bring them underneath submission for the moment so that he can bring them into his kingdom, which he has these seven lessons that anybody can actually join. And these seven lessons are confession, sacrifice, understanding, love, discipline, diligence, and obedience. These seven lessons provide a pathway to redemption for all. So he's in his mind, him and, him and Eve, his wife, they're really striving to connect mankind from this point, but mankind is in disarray. So they have to fight to bring them to, to, to a clear point to say, okay, look, this is what we're trying to do for you. So he fights his whole conquest across the earth, unifying all the different tribe or species of mankind at this point in time with Eve, who's training them at this period. They ended up having Cain and Abel, who in our story are conjoined twins. Literally, they're together. Cain is the main one. Um, Abel is on his back. So from that point, when they were born, the the community kind of ostracized them to a point to where Cain decides, okay, I can't take it anymore. He talks with his brother. They're very close because they're combined and says, you know what? I don't want to live anymore. His brother says, I love you. So since we're together, we're going to go ahead and die together. So he jumps off a cliff to kill himself. He ends up killing his brother and living from that point. And that hurt him to the core because that was the one thing he loved. He never really knew his father, Adam. Now this goes into a lot of things because Adam is going across the earth you know, unifying the tribes from that point. So now his brother is gone. So what he does is... Well, wait, wait, don't, tell, don't give too much of the story away because, first of all, it's a variation on, on a theme which leads me to question you, um, to ask the question, did you get much pushback because of the retelling of, of a biblical tale that is so well-known and that is you know, so steeped in doctrine, you know, for 2,000 years? Well, two things. One, you know, we're just now bringing that to fruition. But in terms okay. of the, All right. the audience we brought that out to, no, they were just like, wow. I'm like, okay, that's that's a unique way, you know what I'm saying, of telling the story because that story has been told for eons a certain way. So, no, no, that has been very open. And it's not – giving a lot of ways just the origin from that point. Because in the end, I will say in terms of the formation of vampires comes into play. Right. Okay. From, from, from Cain and Abel, actually. It comes to make it very simple. You know, it comes from the image of Abel. You know what I'm saying? The first vampire culture in the way. I won't reveal how it was done. You got to go in and check out the book <laughs> to find out how it was done. But in terms of... No, that's of cool. Abel, I, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't want you telling the whole story because... Because it it is it, it's it's more than creative. What it is is you you have taken an alternative track for something that 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 like I said has been heaped in two well you know two twenty twenty yeah, two twenty three hundred years worth of doctrine. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. that you know not only is that creative. But you got some balls too, you know. You know uh, 
Dude, because you know how people cling to their religion. And you're religious but, yourself, and you're like, you blasphemous motherfucker. You know, you know how people are going to be, um, especially especially if you get legs. If you get legs, you know, if, if this takes off, people are not going to have, you know, there's going to be a certain number of people who are not going to have some very good things to say to you because instead of looking at the creativity, instead of looking at actually bringing the, some of the doctrine to a brand new audience, they're just going to look at you as a, you know, a blasphemous individual, you know, a blasphemous creator, somebody who, who's trying to cash in on something that, well, you know how people feel about their religion. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch over the next few years what what kind of reception you continue to get and what people say about your blasphemous ass, you know? So I'm I'm kinda I'm kinda looking forward to this. And and you well, know, you know what I can say, well you know, I interviewed Lonnie on the radio about that. I mentioned that to him and, and he just said, No, he's just gonna be telling a story. So I, I'm out of the right the line of fire on this one, but I have to admit it is pretty interesting. No, but you know what, William? That's one of the things you said beforehand. I'm not religious. You know, I'm, I'm a spiritual individual, and I understand the difference. You know what I'm saying? Religion is... Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it becomes, you know, man-made. It's rules. It's laws. It becomes business-like when it becomes religion. That's where the divisive aspect comes in in a lot of cases. But, you know, even within this, and you said it, I go back to now, what is the power universe now? You know, that origin is given to show you a base and a foundation. But like you said, to balance right. it out, now we look at our current characters in our books now, and you see how they're connected to a source that you were connected or been told about for eons. So now you see or, the or, similarity. Or like the other thing is, you know, what, what they teach you in writing class, that there are no new stories. You can only do variations on a theme. So when Correct. you take these stories that are so steeped in doctrine, what you're doing is, you know... Can I be honest for a second here? The Bible is science fiction and fantasy. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. You know, thank you. And these these were stories that were put together so to give people guidance on how supposedly. Let's talk New Testament because Old Testament was let's just scare the hell out of everybody and and scare them into (laughs) behaving the way we want them to believe. But in the New Testament, you're given stories that are supposed to to make you understand community, to make Correct. you understand what it means to to be a, a viable part of a community and to contribute to the community and, and it, you know, to give you a little bit of guidance. It's, you know, I've always said this, and nobody, and some people agree, some people don't, but religion is actually lubrication, okay? Religion I'm is wondering. lubrication between how you rub up against other people, how you how you rub up against your community. And what it's supposed to do is reduce friction, reduce the heat, reduce the irritation, and give you a better way of fitting in. So <clears throat> not not that I want, you know, I'm pretty I'm pretty well I'm okay here. I had lightning strike the building one time and it tore a big ass piece off. This was a few years ago and I lost some of my electronics and so far I'm okay and and here I am saying this stuff while it's raining outside because I don't have the sense of a house plant. 
but but I think I think it's pretty bold of you to have decided <clears throat> excuse me to tackle this arena. This is this is dude, this is it's brilliant. It's really brilliant because what you're doing is you are taking away the stigma of Correct of dealing with these stories that are supposed to be, well, they spawned a religion. They, they spawned a fundamental religion. Um, and, and the, the you know, the stand-up comic in me has always said, you know, you got to admire a religion that was built about, around a woman who really stuck to her story. All right. No, that's that's you. Know. You, 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 you. Uh-uh, no, God, God did this. I've never, never in my life. No, this is from God. Okay, all right. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, you know, as bad as I am, and but, but I think it's brilliant on your part to have chosen something that is the familiar to other people, because then you don't, you know, that's like that's like Avatar. You didn't have to have it any exposition in order to explain the blue people. You know, you had to have exposition in Avatar go. to explain who the... Okay, you don't have to have exposition to explain familiar characters from the Bible. And I, I there's a brilliance to what you have done that I hope people understand rather than have a knee-jerk reaction, you know, that I've made fun of about you blasphemous son of a bitch, you know, that sort of thing. But no, this is... I. Well, you understand what I'm saying, right? Um, oh yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I've, I've had, I've this sat is, down in terms of. I think this is I've great. Had, I've had debates in terms of. Um, yeah. I sat down with, um, actually, in terms of. Uh, I won't mention a, a person's name, but I sat down with the, the head of the um, Atlanta Vampire Society. You know, what I'm saying okay. I did a one-on-one interview with him from that point, just to get an idea. Uh, I didn't really know the vampire culture from that perspective. Really get an understanding of well, that. Well, sure, you got to you got to do your research. Yeah, correct. And I and I actually I got my eyes open as well. It's just like with religion. If you look at in terms of when you look at the Quran, the Book of the Torah, uh, you look at in terms of all the variations of religions. The basis and the context are all similar. It's just it's just different names. It's well, the, that is the true. There are no. Is, that goes back to there are no new stories. Correct, and that's when I'm like, okay, if that's the, the concept, if, the, if there's familiarity from that perspective, then you stay in that same vein from that point. Right. And now in terms of the whole point, now what we say is what we're not going to do is tell you and enforce upon you. That's the difference on religion is in a lot of cases it is enforced and, and pressed upon you instead of saying you have a choice. That's what we're saying here from our end. We'll provide you in terms of with these stories and these characters. One of our characters is um, a guy named John Adoyo from Nigeria in the land of blood and bone, you know, and he's um, a unique individual, not just because he comes from Africa, um, but because of what he is. I won't say exactly what he is, but he has to learn and really come to grips and accept, not even learn, but accept what he is in his story. And we have another character in Trust in Blood, which provides a lesson of understanding, Margaret Gibson, who comes from a well-privileged family. You know, and she's mm -hmm. used to getting things until she realizes the things that her parents were telling her they're not following, and it shatters her way of thinking, and she ventures out, and she finds out that there's these other cultures 
aka vampires that are out here. And she's thinking that, okay, this is something that's horrific, but a vampire ended up saving her life within this story, and she's bond, she bonds with this individual. And then you have Delilah, which everyone knows, you know, when we say Delilah, we know where that comes from. <laughs> Samson mm-hmm. Delilah's story. We have Delilah in our book who actually is in a love that never dies. Now, in a love that never dies, Delilah actually is, she's raped and killed and turned as into a vampire. Her fiancé is killed as what she thinks he's dead. But in the story, she actually witnesses one of the individuals coming to her. She owns a gentleman's club, you know, in this story. And she, since she went through that history, she now preys upon powerful men, politicians, presidents, okay. powerful men now to bring them down because of what she went through in her own life. So from that point, sure. she finds one of the individuals that ends up turning her, and to make a long story short, she finds out that her fiancé is not dead as what she thought years ago. And it unravels and shows a whole other twist to it. So, And these characters, they come from different backgrounds. They go through different experiences. They're of different cultures, you know, as well. And these are all in our anthology series, you know what I'm saying, as well. But in the end, they all combine together because it still comes okay. to a form of community. So it starts off to where we introduce these characters in the first volumes. Volume two, you have the organizations and other characters. And then volume seven will be an actual graphic novel that will bring everybody together for the central story. That's great. Uh, let, let's shift gears here real quick because I don't want you to real, reveal a lot. I think you've given enough to, to whet people's appetites. But let's talk about the production aspect. We kind of touched on it where you, you actually had that learning experience, okay? Um, mm-hmm. I kind of went through the same thing. You know, I, I I was very, very, I was exceedingly lucky. My first four scripts that I wrote actually got made, um, which is kind of, yeah, I feel good about that. But I can't take a lot of credit for it, um, but... I I finally realized that my writing is a lot like Rod Serling's because I'm I'm known for having an ironic twist at the end. So people like that because it's unexpected. It's it's kind of a it's low hanging fruit in in terms of storytelling, but you have to do it well. You can't you can't just you know. Well, anyway. So, but but for you. Let's talk about your your entomology. Your 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 uh, your kind of like your journey as, you know, on the production side, the business side of getting this done? Because I think people are going to be interested in finding out, A, when did you actually, you know, make that, you know, make that, take that step? And B, what does it cost you in terms of time, energy, organization? What, you know, when you're talking about going into the production <laughs> aspect of this, and and not the crazy part that you didn't know about, but now that you know more, tell us a little bit about your role as the producer and, and what kinds of things you have to do. Like, if if you're going to produce a segment, you know, obviously you have to have a story, you have to have, you know, you have to, you have to uh, mm-hmm. get actors, you have to get people behind the camera. Tell us a little bit about the business aspect of well, there's two two types of productions. You know, with transmedia, like you said beforehand, we cross different platforms. So I'll, sure. I'll talk about the two. The first is the actual digital or film. The second one is the actual live event, which is the Upari experience. And I'll expound on that. But first, with the actual um, digital and film, 
it, the life cycle is always pre-production, production, and production. Um, and basically within that, you know, you have to go through a development. You have to take a concept and you have to break that concept down into a script. And from that script, you know, we then now take that script and we make sure that from a budgetary perspective, speaking on business, you know, we want to make sure in terms of that we stay within a certain budget. So in a lot of cases, you can control that by saying to the writer, these are your stipulations. Keep the locations minimum. Keep the number of major um, 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 actors as well as day players that come in. Keep that limited and keep the special effects if you want to keep costs down from that perspective. So just giving you all a little bit of tidbits to kind of help when it comes to budgeting. You don't have to let a writer go all the way to the full extent and try to get it produced. You can control that from the development stage and the conceptual stage, you know, which is, hey, these are your stipulations, and then give them the freedom within that stipulations, those stipulations. And even when they write the story and the script, you still will come back and make adjustments and changes based, based upon what they've written because you have to break down the script when it comes to shooting and make sure that we can shoot within that budget. So that's a whole process itself when it comes to development, and that's all development. Once that's finished, the script is finalized and approved, then from that perspective, we start gathering the resources and we go into actual pre-production, meaning we start looking for locations, we start getting crew members from that point because we have something, a roadmap that we can give to them to where they can actually see. We start recruiting the directors, um, we start bringing in all of the crew members and so forth so that we can get ready for the actual production phase. And the production phase comes into a point to where we have to start shooting, but even in pre-production, you then, once you get your team, you have to create a schedule, a productive schedule. That's one of the biggest things to do is getting all of those people organized because there are so many levels when it comes to having your production team. You have to storyboard everything out, break down the script from a shooting script to give to the actors, storyboard it out for your DP so your director, everybody from the, the crew side will understand what the shots are and then the breakdown of the script to the actors so that they can actually understand their setup and also what the characters are going through so that it all can connect. That's all a part of pre-production. And then you set the schedule up accordingly of how many days you're going to shoot, you know, and also in terms of you start putting food, all those things into play. Once that's set, then you have your schedule, you then go to shoot. And now it's about management. Once you go through production, you start shooting at that period of time, and you try your best to stay on schedule because things will come up and things will happen. Locations. You may spend too much time. Actor may not get it. Um, you may run into some technical difficulties from that point. All those things tend to happen to where it hits your time. But when you're in the production aspect, you want to make sure that in the pre-production that you try to plan for all of these things and have some alternatives you know, as well, because it's expensive. And then outside of that, it goes, once you're finished with shooting, everything is exported over to the latter team, which is the post-production, that's the editing team, to where they're going to mm -hmm. take everything you shot and they're going to actually now start crafting and putting that together on a timeline. And now you start seeing your, your, your project come to life at that point. And that process can be extremely tedious as well because it has to go through different approvals you know, as well, too. So those are like the three main steps when it comes to production. And when it comes to time and doing this, I'm just going to say it takes your life. <laughs> it well, takes me, your life because... This. How, how big a, a production team do you usually work with? Let's talk about your moving parts. Moving parts, normally with what we've done thus far, we try to keep a lean production team. So I would really say from a crew, a crew size, I'm going to say we try to keep it down to about 15 to 
I'm gonna say 15, around 15 people from a crew perspective, mm-hmm. and really that's your DP. And these are the core people, your DPs. You want to make sure in terms of that you have your director. Those two are your key individuals. Then you want to have, you know, um, lighting, your grips, you know what I'm saying, as well. Um, you want to make sure that you have your uh, makeup, wardrobe, you know, as well as set design. All of those come with assistance as well, too. But it's about 15 people for our crew. Um, and when we look at our scripts, we try to keep our scripts lean as well, too. We don't like to have too many main actors. Um, we have a protagonist right. antagonist, and we try to keep, you know, supporting actors limited as well, too, meaning that we don't really want to go over, you know, four or five. And then when it comes to day players, we try to keep scenes to where it's not huge scenes as well to where it's, okay, we got to have 20 people that, you know, come in for today. We try to keep those to a minimal as well. Man, it's, it's still a group. You know, it's still, you know, people don't realize oh, that, yeah. that all, and, and every single one of those people has a well-defined job, and they have to do it well. And I think that yes. the one the one challenge that someone who sits in your chair has to do is you have to you 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 know, I think the biggest thing is taking the time and effort to get a crew who you can absolutely rely on. Because oh. if, if one if if one person is out of step, if you don't get your costumes there on time or 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 what about or the makeup person and and um, you know any one thing can really screw the whole production. Any one mess up can screw the whole production. Um, that's why. That's why William. Real quickly, in terms of you hit the nail on the head. That's why in the pre-production, your schedule. Like people don't. Right. And I want to expound on that. You don't really. That's one of your goal minds, because your schedule across the board is going to be the key. If you get off schedule. You're going to lose money. Majority of productions that are done in Hollywood and major productions, they go way over budget because of that fact. The schedule, they lose sight of the schedule. They lose a day. And from that point, you're already behind. It, it, gets that, it gets that intense from that point. So it's important to, like I said, when you're creating your schedule, also create mitigations for things that may come up. Like that, I, I can't repeat that enough through experiences. Know that things will happen. But know how to adjust. Don't try to make them right in there because it's filming. That's that, that that's really that's going to hit you hard from the pockets. If you try to adjust right then and there, because you got to now adjust across the board, and that that's going to impact the product. I, I really stress that to people is that when you do look at your schedule, make sure you get you know an executive producer, a line producer, a line producer, someone that knows how to break down a schedule and actually knows how to break down the budget as well too, so that that schedule is clear across the board. Like that is so important. And then even when you when you go into managing and maintaining the schedule, your first and second and even sometimes third ADs, because you need to have someone that's over over the crew, over the um the actors, you know what I'm saying, and someone that's with the director from that point to make sure that the schedule is being managed and those resources are being managed. So time-wise, and I'll give everyone an example, <clears throat> you may, let's say in terms of if we're doing, um, we did three vignettes, and they're like five minutes apiece, right? We shot this over five days, which was two weekends. So Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and a Saturday and Sunday, so it was five days. We averaged per day about 12 hours. That's a good day. That's a good day, 12 hours. Mm-hmm. 
Sometimes on, mm-hmm. on film sets, you can go up to 18-hour days. So when you start speaking on time, William, literally, that's the time it takes to make sure that, once again, you're able to get all these pieces moving, and if you make a mistake, you can make an adjustment. You gotta. That's when your time goes up. So from that point, for those short periods of time, you're putting in a lot of work, and that's why the pre-production is so important to be able to create mitigations because that's a minimum. You don't want to just go in there and like, we're going to take six hours. Now, some people have their own method to where they want to shoot a certain way. That's fine. But in terms of if you're going to have something that involves, like, fantasy or you're going to have certain elements, you definitely want to go through your pre-production. But that's, a, 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 that's just an idea of how much time it takes. And that's just in production. Pre-production can take anywhere from two, uh, a week to three weeks. For us, I would say our pre-production takes about a week and a half. Then we try to shoot okay. within five to seven days. Yeah. From that point. And, then, and, and, and the end, so, go ahead. No, go ahead. You know, on the end with, with final, with post-production, that's, that can be the longer one there because there's a lot of approvals that come into play. We want to make sure that, you know, post-production doesn't go more than two months. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and a lot of people go, well, why don't you just – shoot until you get what you want or why don't you just because it because it all costs money it all costs Mm -hmm. money and 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 let's be entirely honest about being creatives um in the back of everybody's mind you have to realize that you're running a business if you're writing a book you're running a business if you're writing a short story you're running a business you know there are people out there who go you know okay i just write for the the love of the game excuse me and and okay fine fine and good but most people are doing this you know to try to make a living and and the one thing that you have to do like you you said the biggest uh, i think the biggest issue when you're talking about uh you know multi person production is cost containment because if you know yeah. you can't you can't spend an unlimited amount. I mean, very few people have. No, I take that back. Nobody, nobody has an unlimited budget. You know, you still right. have people bitching about. You know, if they're doing a hundred million dollar movie, man, a mm-hmm. hundred million dollars mm-hmm. would take care of me and all of my friends for the rest of our lives. But if you have a hundred million dollar movie, all of that money is getting spent. And, and, yeah, and a lot of times, yeah, and a lot of times, what it's being spent on is 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 stuff that helps you not have to spend so much money. Okay, people wonder, well, why is there so much CGI? Well, because you can't you can't film all of that live. You can't make all that live. You know, Correct. and and then they go, oh man, I was watching the credits and and you know the uh, the digital people in there were like eight minutes of credits well yeah that's what it takes in order to do that and and so um one of the things that i like to try to impress upon people who go well you know i want to make movies i want to do this i want to do that and and the first thing i tell them is learn your craft you have to learn your craft and they go well what do you mean you know point and shoot you know, I have one guy on a camera. I got the actors. I got, I just make sure the costumes are right. This, that, you know, uh, well, what about your location? I was shooting, yep. oh, what was, somebody had me on their set as an armorer because I had a lot of guns. 
<laughs> so don't come around my house when I'm around. But anyway, and, and, and so we we had a permit, and the permit said explicitly, you know, that there we would be using um, uh, non-functioning firearms in in the shooting, and it was in the mm-hmm. in at night and in an alley just north of downtown Chicago in some of that expensive land. And mm-hmm. and a cop came rolling through there just before we were about to shoot a scene, and they jumped out, guns drawn, and we're up against the wall, you know. Yep. And, and I, I would have my hands up. I First of all, I bring them over to the car because we laid all the documentation on the hood of a car just in case something like this happened. Nobody was going to reach in their pockets to get a, a shooting permit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, that's so yeah. I I brought that over to him. I showed him that it was signed by the uh, the film guy, I forget his name here in Chicago. You know, this was our permit. Um the guy at the end of the alley who tried to flag them down was was traffic control and he said, "Well, how come you don't have any police traffic control?" And I said, "Well, the film office said that we didn't need it necessarily because we weren't shutting down a thoroughfare." But the fact that we had guys out there with guns and stuff, you know, yep. we we got two and a half hours behind because they made somebody go to the film office to make sure that our permit was legit. Yeah. Yep. So yep. that I mean that that's, that's, that's yep. an instance where where you, you know, and, oh, and then all the people in the alley, you know, who lived along the alley, they're coming out to see why all the police cars are there. And after the police yep. cars go, they want to stand around and watch the movie. And it's like, get your ass yep. back in the house. Like, you know, you can't be in the <laughs> shot. But you can't tell yep. rich folks that. You can't, you know, here you got a permit to work on their street. They got notice and everything. They go, oh, you're the film production company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I stand over here and watch by the garbage can? No. No, go in the yep. house and look out your window. You know, so yes, when you talk about incidentals that can that can ruin your budget, there they there are more incidentals that can ruin your budget than things that can go right to keep you on budget. So it's yeah. it's a very expensive endeavor and and for you to have decided to take that on is is pretty bold. Although when you told the story about how you started, well, let me just get with the actor. I'm gonna tell him what I need. <laughs> but but you, now now you know. I mean, now you know the structure of actually having to get it done. And and that's why I advise people if they're gonna do anything, know your craft. Oh, I'm 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 gonna start writing short stories. Well, do you know how to write a short story? Well, no, but I got great All ideas right. in my head. I said, well, learn how to write. You know, if nothing right. else. You know, take some seminars, do this, do that. And <clears throat> and like you said, what you're doing is probably the most expensive endeavor in creativity because of yeah. all the moving parts and everything that it takes to make it happen. And so when somebody says, um, well, I can't remember the last $200 million movie, but when somebody says they're spending $200 million on a movie, they, you know, and, and like you said, most of the time they go over budget and even then, they're not done. People go, oh, man, you got the movie done. It's $200 million. You, you're ready to roll. Oh, no, no, no. We have to spend $100 million on marketing. On marketing? We and have, we have, that's a, that's a, yeah. And people don't understand that in terms of, I will say this as well, too, to kind of interject on what you were saying here, William, is that um, that's production calls. And this is coming to a business structure. So, you know, you got to look at an aspect of, okay, I'm running a production. So how much is production? 
branding and marketing is not included in that. That's strictly for how does it, how much does it cost to produce the product? Sure. And that's the clear cut, black and white. And then from that point, you have to have a separate. And normally, you're right. The rule is if you spend, you want to spend the same amount that you spend on production in terms of with branding and marketing. That is the rule. So if you spend a hundred million on a production, you need to spend at least a hundred million in terms of in your branding and marketing from that point, so that you can get it out to people. Because it's one thing with having a dynamic product. If nobody can connect with it or it's not presented, then you've put your money out there to sit. Who wants to do that? You know what I'm saying? That well, nobody. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I have a I have a film that I want to do, and and I've been lazy because. It, because I know once I start, it's going to take, like you said, sometimes 18 hours a day to get it done. And that's pre-production. That's getting people lined up. That's having your meetings. That's that's uh, auditioning actors. That's uh, mm-hmm. making sure you have all the equipment. You know, do we have enough lights? Do mm-hmm. we have enough mics? Do we have this, 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 mm-hmm. this, this? And it's a myriad of details. And and the movie I want to do is only uh, has a two and a half million dollar budget. Well, that's yeah. that's still a cons- and people go, oh wow, that'll be great. When you get your two and a half million dollars, you're going to be in, you know, you're going to be, everything's going to be fine. And I go, oh no, 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 that just means now that I'm three to four million dollars in debt. Correct. And they go, what do you mean? I go, well, I got to pay it back, and these people have to make a profit. Correct. Oh, really? And, you know, and, you know. So. <laughs> so yeah, that's what you mean. But so, you know, so what it's really a. Yeah, that, I'm sorry because that—that's one of the key things. I, let me say this because I, I want to speak to what you're talking about. In the end, in terms of as creators, when you enter into this medium, when it comes to digital content or filming, now you have a difference when you're doing uh, a web series. Web series is a smaller version of a film, so I, I would I would recommend that. But I want to say this in general: you have to look at number one, what you want to do if you're going to do a film. Let me let me speak to that. Because it's not just expensive, it's time-consuming, but also as a business, it can put you in the biggest debt of your life. So from that point, you need to determine not to a point where, oh, yeah, I just want to be creative. Because, yes, it's creative, but when you create that, you got to get that out to people, and you got to get a return. So speak on – I want to talk on the fullness. So you, let's say you take $2.5 billion, boom, that's what it's going to cost to create. Now you have to pay that money back with interest, so it puts you about three and a half, almost $4 million. Now you need to say right. you need to get at least $4 million more for branding and marketing. Now you get deeper and deeper at this point, and now you got to hope that that now recoups because the beautiful thing about a film is the ancillary rights, meaning that all the different channels of distribution that you can use to be able to get money back coming from it, but you got to get to that point. Well, and, and you know what? Most people, most people, only 5% of the people who create movies, who actually produce movies, get to that point. The other 95% are out shopping them to production companies to buy the movie and take over that costly part. Um, uh, Gordon Peele, uh, he did mm-hmm. uh, Get Out. He did Get, Get Out. Jordan Peele. And, mm-hmm. and he was sitting, and I, I think he was being interviewed by Kimmel or, you know, one of the late night guys. And, <clears throat> and they said, you know, well, it's doing real well, blah, 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 blah. You know, you must be doing it real well. And he just sat there. He said, nope, because that's mm-hmm. not my money. You know, he sold it to someone else to do that, and the money he got was the money he got to sell it. 
you know, that it was, it was his first movie. He was not going to get back end points. He wasn't going to get any of that. And that, and that's the other thing that people don't realize. You know, if I, if I do this movie, it's a comedic bank heist movie. And I, let's say, let's dream the impossible dream. Let's say I get to bring it to con and, and it gets screened. And so Miramax picks it up. Miramax says, okay, uh, we'll give you, uh, the production company, not me. We'll give, we'll pay uh, the production company mm-hmm. four and a half million for the movie, and then we will pick it up, and then we'll take care of everything else. That's all I get. Correct. That's all the, the mm-hmm. that's all the production company gets is four and a half million. You know, and and let's say it turns around and it makes a hundred million dollars. Well, I just get to look at someone else making you know ninety six million dollars off of my four million dollar project. Well, it, it, and, you know and what? People, that, people, <clears throat> go ahead. No, that's one of the things, though, you know, when you're speaking on that, because you, you, you hit some key points, that's why I say you have to know what you want. You have to understand right. that before you step in. That's the key thing is to understand, like, okay, this is what I'm striving to do because you hit the nail on the head is that, yes, they're going to spend, you know, they're going to make $300 million. They may turn around and say, we're going to buy, you know what I'm saying, buy this for $4 million, but we're going to put $50 million behind it. And we're going to turn around and make, you know what I'm saying, $300 million. Okay, great. We don't have $50 million to do that. But an example, like you said, if you say two and a half million, now this is amongst your shareholders in terms of if you if you if you put it out there, I'm being very, very direct. Let's say if you come up with the money yourself, that means you get a hundred percent of whatever comes back in terms of what you sell that for. So if you sell it for four million, you've came up. You funded it off your own money for two and a half million, you came back with four million, you actually got one point um what what is it? Uh one point five million. You know what I'm saying? That you you've added. So now, from a business aspect, from a flipping, okay, great. You, you know what I'm saying? You came up. You got 1.5 million dollars. But now, if you say, okay, that's 2.5 million, I had to get that to try. I had to p- put the money up, and I'm giving away shares. Now you start dividing about what you get back, and it's shared amongst the production team. If you're not yep. paying them out front, you now have yep. to split that up and you have to make sure that the company would even give you that in terms of in return to say, okay, even if they say we may come around and say, okay, we're going to give you two and a half million. Well, that's what I actually spent. Yeah, we're going to get your money back. <laughs> you got to negotiate <laughs> and they have to see the value to get a return because now you're just getting your money back. The beauty behind that, just to be clear with everybody, is now you get a product to where you can have your name, depending upon the agreement you have, you can still be associated with it and have your name out there, and you can now open up other opportunities. That's the benefit. But in terms of from a financial perspective, and you can get other opportunities because they see the success, but from a financial perspective, you just got your money back. And I, right. those are things that you got to weigh out. And I want to interject that because you're speaking, that's the things we look at as well. you got to know those things. Don't just jump into the creative zone and say, okay, I'm going to do this and take a shot because that's a real risky, expensive shot if you don't know. I'm not saying don't do it. If you don't understand that, theater and film are the riskiest shots. Well, and that's, that goes back to my saying, know your craft. You know, you, you know there are so Correct. many people who, who think they know everything or they think they're so smart that they can figure it out on, on the run. And those yeah. are the people who end up going broke. Those are the people who end up, you know, people start going, you know, folks start knocking on their door with pitchforks and torches going, hey, uh, where's my money? You know? Yeah. And so yeah. so the, I think the thing that I'm trying to stress here is that 
you know, you were very honest about the fact that when you started out, you didn't know jack about production. But now, you know, look at you now, you're able to do the calculations. You're able to figure out, you know, what is the price point that I have to do in order to get this to go. And, and you know, I'm not talking about you doing a major movie, but you still have to be on top of your financials. Um, yeah. Someone came to me and they wanted to do a short and they thought it was going to be about 30,000 bucks. And he said, how do I borrow the money for 30,000 bucks? Or how do I do it? Do I do a GoFundMe? I said, no, because that those, those, those only work. <clears throat> it's, it's like being struck by lightning. You know, mm-hmm. I, I tossed a GoFundMe page up there to, to like get three of my books published simultaneously, which was going to cost almost 8,000 bucks. And I think mm-hmm. I, I got a return of about $300, you know, because nobody's really interested in doing that because it's not glamorous, okay? Mm-hmm. And and a lot of people get into movies for the glamour. They think, well, I'm going to be rubbing shoulders with, uh, with the, you know, hobnobbing with the movie stars and stuff like that. It's, it is so much a business. Oh, anyway, back to the guy who wanted to do, he wanted to get $30,000 to to shoot this movie, which I thought was, I mean, that's a pretty big budget for a first movie. And I said, well, have you done a business plan yet? And he looked at me like I was from like another planet. Like you were crazy. Yep. He said, a business yep. plan? I'm doing a movie. I said, no, you're starting a business. And he yep. said, no. I'm, and he ar- we argued for about three hours. Fortunately, he bought dinner. But, but he, you know, <laughs> This is this is something that people don't understand. Anytime you do something like this, you should have a plan. And you mentioned that. You did mention that. You you've mentioned that a couple times that you have to know what you're doing and you have to have your plan. You have to do your pre-planning. You have to have your pre-production stuff done so that you know where your money's going to go, you know where your people are going to go, and you know that people are not going to provide a major screw up and you don't end up broke. I mean, there's all of those things all of those considerations that folks don't necessarily know. But every endeavor, whether you're writing a book, whether you've decided you want to be a short story um, artist, whether you whether you want to do, you know, uh, a, a rent a studio and start doing sculpture, you have to have a plan. You have to have a business plan. Right. And, and creatives right. look at me like I have lost my ever-loving mind when I tell them, well, did you do a business plan? For a movie, and their minds don't think. Their minds don't think that way. It, it, that's their creative yeah. mind, and then the business mind. That's the that's the challenge. Um, and I've been through that as well too with coming with the business. Because even with uh, with with us, like Upyre is the intellectual property, but the the company that is pushing it, similar to Marvel, is called the Omnibus LLC. So okay. that's the company with, <clears throat> with with a group of executives that are behind it. And an example, like with our departments, we have a development department that actually develops content, you know, and we also have like a production department where we actually create or produce books, comic books, but also in terms of we have partnerships with production companies in which we're able to produce right now digital content. Eventually, we'll go into animations and we'll go into film, but right now we're looking at more so like the web series content. That's why I said you have to know what you're doing and what you want, because that's still uh, an advertising cost at this point right. from a web series. You can make money off of it, but you have to look at how you're going to use it to generate money. So we have production for books. We have a partnership with production for 
digital content, which is the web series. And then we also have the live production side, which is the Upari experience. We've done that for the last two years. And basically the Upari experience is where we bring all the different art forms together in a live interactive environment. We've been kind of testing it for the last two years. This year is our launch to where we're going to launch on October 28th. This year we've partnered and the way we're going to launch is we're going to launch it through an escape room. So we're bringing our anthology series, our first volume. We're going to immerse people into that by bringing our characters and their stories and putting them in an escape room to where they can be in the same situations as our characters would be. We've partnered with Amazing Escapes, which is one of the top escape rooms here in Georgia, to where they have four escape rooms, and we now customize them to fit our Yupari world to make them Yupari-centric. That's nice. what the Yupari experience is. So you'll be able to come into an actual escape room, legitimate, top of the line, and walk through 45 minutes of getting out the room with you and a group, but now will be Yupari-centric based upon our actual characters, who will be the narrators of those escape rooms. That's the experience. We immerse people in our, in our content, in our books. That's the difference between us and any other company. We want to immerse you in our content in a way that's interactive, and that's our way of doing that. So that's what the experience is, and that's, what, that's how we're going to launch out, you know what I'm saying, Upiry from the, the interactive aspect is through that. This October 28th is going to be an amazing escapes, and they are a phenomenal partner. Um, they are one of the top-rated escape rooms here in the United States, actually, but in Georgia, uh, they're the top escape room here in Georgia. And when I tell you in terms of, like, some of the things that they've done, and that's even including, again, so I'm not sure if you're familiar with Netherworld. Netherworld actually has a haunted house, but they also have escape rooms as well, too, even in comparison to those. They're rated on TripAdvisor, excellent reviews, um, and I'm not going to give too much away, but when you go into their escape rooms, it's not just where you're going to one room. I'm talking about things slide open, like technology is just off the radar. We also have a sure. VR room that they'll be able to go through as well. So that's these are the interactive elements that we're looking to, to um, immerse people capitalize in. Capitalize on. Yeah, capitalize on and... And, and draw people in and keep them coming back for more. That's the other aspect. When you do something like this, it's not, you know, you, you, don't, you don't aim for a one-shot deal. You know, Epcot, Thank you. Disney World, yep. Universal Studios, yep. they, don't, they don't thrive on people just, oh, let me just stop by one time and, and check it all out. You know, say, even, even something as kind of uh, middle class, <clears throat> I was being generous, as Wisconsin Dells, you know, they <laughs> – <laughs> well, I, I live in the upper Midwest and Wisconsin. I used to, okay, let, let me tell you what a, a slick huckster I was. Back when I was in college, I had a house near Madison, Wisconsin, which is not far from Wisconsin, Delta, and I always used to have a golf tournament, an invitational golf tournament. <laughs> and so people would arrive on Friday, and then Saturday, everybody had to go up to uh, Wisconsin Dells and do 10 rounds of miniature golf. And then I had some cheap, crappy-ass plastic trophies, and we had a big cookout and everything. And, and, you know, so, but people kept coming back because they had fun. So that sounds cool. That It sounds like you're developed. I mean, when you talk about transmedia, you're already deep in it. This is nothing new for you. This has been your strategy all along. Um, Correct. Let me, oh, let, real quick, we got about five minutes. Um, 
but let me ask you this. When, it, when you think ahead, uh, let, uh, you know, I ask people this, like, let's go five years down the road. What do you think the biggest difference, the biggest change is going to be between where you are now and where you hope to be five years from now? The biggest change, I think, is going to be in terms of with mentality, one. Let me, it's two parts. One is just my mind um, in terms of the whole village mentality. The second is would be, it, it would be that we would have spawned not just in terms of the universe of Upari that will be similar to a Marvel and the size of it, but also in terms of other companies that are affiliated. We, we, would, we, we, we will be creating a community of partnerships. Like that will be the biggest change or the difference opposed to us starting off this a few people it'll be now not just a few people but a few companies that will have a certain process that will allow that will actually touch a lot of other people you know what i'm saying in a major way that's what i see in the next five years because we actually have our plan we're approaching our five-year plan now that'll be our next following five years we see that impact and and i, I hope everybody paid attention to that what he just said, we're, we're in our five-year plan right now. So, you know, you did the planning. You have looked ahead. You have decided what it's going to take to bring you, <clears throat> to bring you where you want to be and lead mm-hmm. you to the next level. And, and so, that, I mean, that's essential. And, and it's, you know, in terms of now that you're in it and you're looking ahead, it's more than having a business plan. You know, having the business plan, essentially a business plan to help you get funded and to help organize your thoughts and your goals so that they're realistic and achievable. Okay. A lot of people think, oh, this is just a pain in the ass. How how am I supposed to figure out what my revenue is going to be month to month to month to month? And I go, but you have to, you know, because you know what, if you're going to be spending somebody else's money, you better damn well explain to them how you're going to spend it. You know, what are your metrics? What what is your yardstick for success? You know, when are you going to know that you have screwed up and you have to take a different track or you have to be man or woman enough to to say, okay, this is not going to work, and then start to pull your money together so you can pay people back. I mean, all of these are essential parts right. of doing business. And, and I like to talk about the creative part with people because, of course, like you said at the very, very beginning, you know, very, very creative people have unlimited, unlimited imagination. And the problem with unlimited imagination is, unfortunately, nobody has an unlimited budget. You know, unlimited imagination would be great. Imagine, imagine if you could sit down in your next episode, you could put $10 million of, of special effects, digital effects in it. That would be, that would be like, that would be magic, wouldn't it? Oh man, that'll be. And I will say this, Robert. But it ain't with. Go ahead. With what we know now. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. that'd be like. But it goes back to what you <laughs> said, though, William. Is in terms of you got to have your plan together, and that's what I. That's what I want to share with everybody else as well too. When you do, when you can see it ahead, you can be creative. You still can be creative, but you just got to see it. So if you do get that, you can jump up for joy and be like, "Oh man, I know what to do because I see my plan." Opposed to saying, "I feel good because now." I can create what I want because your feeling will, you always feel till you leave this earth. <laughs> yeah. You'll feel. Right? All right. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah. All right. Let's. I, I, I'm going to uh, wrap things up here because, uh, and and I'll admit to people, you know, I'm I. Uh, this is the first time that I've really run the show using the new TalkShoot software. So if people had a little bit of trouble getting in and stuff like that, I apologize for not being able to tell everybody exactly how to get what you want. But uh, Jarvis and I are going to have a training session with this. But Jarvis is really tied up. He's doing the diversity track for Dragon Con, which is really big. He got me invited down there as a professional guest, for which I am eternally grateful. Lonnie, I can't wait to see you down there. And I'm going to meet so many of the people who I've talked to and have never met. You know, you, Jarvis, Quasi. I mean, just it's going to be quite the experience for me that I'm really looking forward to. I'll tell you how much I'm looking forward to it. As hot as Atlanta is going to be, I'm actually going to wear long pants, you know, so I look better. Um, (laughs) You know, so I look professional. But anyway, um, Lonnie, I want to thank you, man, for for coming back. And, and you know, I always have fun talking to you. Now, you know, the the more I talk to you, I remember. And, um, again, your success is a matter of hard work and not, not chance, not luck. And and I think that that's something that people should wow. take to the bank with them. They have to think about in terms of, you know, it, it's going to take hard work. And I don't, I don't know again, anybody who said it, it's going to take again. a matter a hard, hard work. But, Thank you know, you. there are people who get hit by that creative lightning. And, and, and but even even if you get hit by the creative lightning, you still, in order to produce, you still have to work hard. You have to keep your eye on every detail. You have to, you have to look for where your money is going. You have to, you have to make sure that the people that you surround yourself with are effective. A lot of people say, "Hey, I want to hire my family because they're going to be accountable." Nah, not really. Because you know what? If if Uncle Richard doesn't do what he's supposed to do, what are you going to do? Oh, don't fire him yeah. because you know it's going to be really bad around Thanksgiving. Well, too bad the dude just cost me $25,000. He better get his fat ass out of here. So, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there's, there's a lot of things that people have to think about. But the bottom line, the basis for success, there is no other basis for success other than knowing your craft. Know what you're going to do. If you're going to write, know how to write a beginning, a middle, and an end. Know how to create compelling characters. <clears throat> if you're going to shoot a web series, make sure you get somebody who handles the camera who can make things look as good as possible. A good DP yep. can make up for deficiencies in location, lighting, and 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 even in the you know the actor's action. The, you know, find somebody who when they they do post production, they can shave off that that one third of a second of a shot where you know, you, you had a car going by and somebody was picking their nose. You know, just things, there there are so many things, so many details that encompass success. And I think that our culture has gotten a little entitled and a little lazy. And people just figure if they want to do something, they're just going to do it and it better be good. Um, and and yes. thank you for coming in and explaining that, no, it's just not that way. Jarvis is on the road. Jarvis is on his way to uh, Dragon Con. Atlanta. He has done, yeah, he's on his way to Atlanta. He's done a yeoman's job of putting together an entire diversity track. He's got some great people. Um, He was gracious enough to invite me to both 
you know, explain a little bit about what BlackScienceFictionSociety.com is to me and what I do with Black Society, Black uh, Science Fiction Society. Um, I'm going to get to meet a lot of people who have only spoken to it, which is very exciting to me. Uh, like I said, I, I, I'm even going to wear long pants, which I don't do in the summer. You know, normally if you want to see me in long pants, you got to double double my hourly rate. But uh, this is this is something I'm really looking forward to. So, Lonnie, thank you again, man, for coming by. Thank you for making this an interesting show. Uh, thank you, people who hung out in uh, in the chat room and braved the new software. I'm sure we're all going to get used to it in the next few weeks. Um, I don't think that there will be. I don't think there'll be a show next Friday, but keep an eye out at BSFS because I might be able to grab somebody, you know, pretty extraordinary and maybe get them to sit down, if not for two hours, at least for an hour. And um, I, I really, uh, once again, I want to thank everybody who helps support the show, people who show up, people who listen, people who pick it up as a podcast, and people who support BlackScienceFictionSociety.com. That site is over 10 years old. That in itself is a yeah. milestone in this digital age. Um, I, I know of so many sites that had to do with, <laughs> excuse me, black science fiction, horror, and, and um, fantasy that came and went. You know, different communities that came together, they had great synergy, and then it petered out because it was not, it just wasn't providing people with what they wanted to see. And, and here, you know, this site is still going on for 10 years. So, Lonnie, thank you very much, man. Have a great night. I don't think there's going to be an after show because I don't know if uh, if I hit this red button here on my screen if everything <laughs> goes away. Well, I don't know. You know, Jarvis and I were going to try to try to train on this, but he's been busy doing that. I I've been uh, I've been writing a, an impossible story about uncontrolled telepathy. Uh, I'll tell you about it when I get down there, Lonnie. And then um, oh, I'll tell you. I will tell everybody this. If everybody in the world became uncontrollably telepathic, I will just say this. The birth rate will go practically practically to zero. Yeah, I can because understand. you ain't going to be getting busy with somebody in your head while you're – well, never mind. All right. So, uh, <laughs> well, Hey, William, I just want to say this, William. I just want to tell you real quickly, thank you very much. You and Jarvis have been dynamic. You know what I'm saying? Very much. Black Science Fiction Society. Check us out at the Diversity Track, you know what I'm saying, on August 30th to September 2nd, Dragon Con Atlanta. It will be dynamic. Also go online, upyri, U-P-Y-R-I dot TV, and make sure that you all, you know, check us out as well, too. Check out the experience that's coming out, and follow us at upyri underscore LLC. We thank you all for just, you know what I'm saying, the good vibes, good energy. And William, once again, you're dynamic, man. Um, I look forward to seeing you in your pants. Don't nobody want to see me out of my pants. Uh, that's uh, uh, anyway. Um, one of the things that I want to mention is, you know, when you do have milestones, always post up. You know, drop a, a note at BlackScienceFictionSociety.com so uh, you know Jarvis can blast it out to everybody. So on behalf of Jarvis, who is on the road, everybody else who's associated with the site, thank you, Lonnie, and thank you everybody for showing up and. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to pull off a show next Friday or not because there's all kinds of things going on at DragonCon in the evening. But, uh, you know, yep. keep keep checking out the site, and, and perhaps we will. So I want to wish everybody a great weekend ahead. And, uh, you know, 
these are our last few days of, you know, what's traditionally the summer because Labor Day signals, you know, getting into the fall. Um, everybody, you know, make the best of your time, and I hope everybody has a great, prosperous few days ahead. Take care. Good night. All right. Enjoy. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.